For those of you who are unable to attend this year's prayer ministry team training, this is being made available to you online. We view all volunteers in our church congregation as leaders in that they are an example for others to follow. We desire for our church to be a network of ministers. We believe in the ministry of the believer. So we believe the ministers of the church are the members of the church, and the calling of the leadership of the church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so if you are a member of the prayer team, you are a minister, you are a leader, you are someone for others to follow. So before we get into a brief review of the details surrounding the ministry of our prayer ministry team, I would just like to go swiftly through the guidelines for recruiting potential leaders. Because some of you may meet someone that you think would be a good recruit to serve on the prayer ministry team or some other ministry that you're part of. And maybe one day you'll be in leadership to the point where you actually do recruiting. But in both cases, whether you're doing the recruiting or you're helping us find recruits, we want to keep these guidelines in place in order to establish order in the house. And the larger we grow, the most important these kinds of things will be. Guidelines for recruiting potential leaders. In an effort to equip and enable our leaders to recruit trustworthy volunteers to serve in any ministry, we ask that the following guidelines be observed, providing that the possible recruit has been attending here for a season and has already begun building relationships within the congregation. It's our desire that people who join the church get to enjoy the church before the church puts them to work. And so we want to give them a season. How long that season is depends on the individual. If, if it's children's ministry we ask, or youth ministry, we ask that that season be six months before a person can serve in an official capacity. Other ministries, it doesn't have to be that long. So the primary reason for this is we want the church to be built on relationships and we don't want to build a church on just giving people jobs, even though functioning members of the body are important to express the life of the body. It's most important for us to work from a position of joy and enjoyment and relationships. So if you're a new member of the church, enjoy the church. If you're burning up to do something, well, then welcome to the prayer team if these guidelines align themselves with your life. In the following this person, known as a potential leader, will be referred to as such. First of all, potential leaders must be born again, having repented of his sins or her sins, and placed their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of those sins through his death, burial, and resurrection. That is the gospel in a nutshell, that Christ came, lived for us, died for our sins, was buried because he died, and arose from the dead, to be our justification, having paid the penalty for our sins. So we believe that we're born again when we repent, we turn from our sins in faith to Jesus who forgives us of our sins and is risen from the dead. Secondly, we believe that all potential leaders must have a desire to grow spiritually and to receive all that God has for them, including water baptism and Holy Spirit baptism. It's our desire that we all desire to grow in Christ. And maybe you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Maybe it happened when you were saved, regardless of when you were filled with the Spirit. It's our desire that you not just park there, but that all of us, from the young Christian to the older Christian, 
that we are on a pathway of growing in the Lord, pursuing all that he has for us in this life. Thirdly, we believe that potential leaders should believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God and be attempting to live as Jesus Christ commanded and as his grace enables. We take Christ's command seriously and we recognize that it is God that has to give us the ability to fulfill those commands. But it all starts with taking what he said seriously. And so if you believe the Bible is the word of God and Jesus is the word of God made flesh and everything he said is important and should be observed in our life and we need his power to do that, welcome to the prayer team. Fourthly, potential leaders must exemplify a love for God and his church by being faithful in church attendance when we gather. We don't want to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And in the giving of tithes and offerings. A certain level of commitment needs to be in operation in our life if we're going to represent the church well. Fifthly, potential leaders must be willing to complete our membership class and have a desire to learn and serve, as well as be open to receiving directions. We don't have membership class every week, so it's our desire that a person who's serving in a ministry has a desire to go to a membership class when we have one. Sixthly, a potential leader must be committed to walking in peace and reconciliation with God and one another. If you've come here from another church and there was strife over there and you were part of that strife and you've got hurt and unforgiveness in your heart towards those people, guess what? It won't be long before the same scenario is repeated here because we're not perfect here. If you're enjoying the honeymoon stage of your membership here, welcome. Enjoy it. But please go back home where you were and try to work things out. Tell them goodbye and forgive as best you can and humble yourself and come back. And let's start with a clean slate. If you're going to be on the prayer team, we don't want you to be a person that is part of division. We don't want that. Number seven, to be considered for potential leadership, a person must be committed to financial integrity and sexual purity. By financial integrity, I don't mean you have to be debt-free, but we want you to be current on your bills. If you're in financial trouble, come see us and we'll try to help. But we don't want a leader in our church or any volunteer in our church embarrassed when their car gets repossessed off our parking lot or something like that happens. Or you owe people money in the church and that person to whom you owe money that you're not paying back due to a lack of integrity has to see you serve in an official capacity. That would be hurtful. So if your life is in financial disarray, let's just let the Lord help you for a season to get that situation worked out before you volunteer for the prayer team or some other issue. We desire for all volunteers in our church to walk in sexual purity. And by that we mean sex is only present in your life within marriage to a person of the opposite sex. And if otherwise, we ask that you be celibate. If you're not married, we ask that you be celibate if you're going to serve here at Generations Church. So with that being said, that's simply the guidelines. If you'd like copy of the guidelines. We keep them posted in our offices and also we have copies available at any time. This time I would like to pray a brief prayer and then go into the priorities and the principles for the prayer team. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to talk 
briefly with the hearers about what you're doing here in this house in serving you in this capacity on our prayer ministry team. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, first of all, we'll start with the top 10 priorities for the prayer team, and then we'll continue with guidelines for praying with people who come up for prayer. All right, here's the top 10 priorities for the Generations Church prayer ministry team. Number one, this is a priority to prepare yourself to minister on this team before each service begins by coming early to pray whenever possible. The function of the prayer ministry team primarily is to pray with people during the service, which usually will always be after the sermon. At the end of the gathering, we end with a time of prayer and receiving ministry. So we'd be serving in that capacity. And so it's our desire that we be prepared to do that. And so we ask if at all possible, prepare yourself to minister by praying before the service. And if need be, you can come early. To pray. If you can't, it's okay. We're not keeping score on who comes early to pray and who doesn't. It's just something that we recommend. Number two, we ask that you please deal with all possible offenses in a biblical manner so that you are ready to minister from a pure heart. We know that things can happen, divisive things can happen, hurts can happen on the way to church. Please try to work those out. Find a place of peace and agreement so that when you minister, you're ministering from a pure heart and not a hurt heart. Number three, please remember that this is a prayer ministry team. We're a team, and our job primarily is to pray with people as they respond after hearing the word of God proclaimed. So it's important that we are there for the duration of the service from the beginning to the end that we've heard the sermon We've heard the appeal for prayer that is made, and we're able to minister in alignment with that as a team. We're part of the overall church team, specifically members of the prayer team. Number four, please be available to minister primarily after the sermon. That's the time to be ready. Number five, please do not allow your role on this team to keep you from receiving prayer for yourself whenever you need it. If you need prayer, it's primary that you receive prayer. It's not a role that you fill where it's for everybody else but not for you. No, by all means, be first to enjoy this. Now, obviously, if there's a huge influx of people coming forward to receive prayer, we need to pray with them. But please don't leave till you yourself have received prayer from someone. Number six, please try to minister to members of your gender only unless you have a member of the opposite sex helping you. So if you're a man and a woman comes up to you for prayer, don't say, hey, I can't pray for you, you're a woman. Or if you're a woman and a man comes up to you for prayer, you don't have to say, hey, you're a man, I can't pray with you. Just look around for someone that can help you. And if all the members of the prayer team are busy praying, look for somebody on the front row and say, can you come here and help me? You know, someone of the opposite sex. That way, we're able to be more effective and the person can feel more comfortable in opening up what their need is. Number seven, please do not ever be in a rush when you minister. God created time and he uses it for his purposes. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, take hours. Obviously, if there's a lot of people needing prayer, you don't need to take a long time. But don't feel rushed. Wait on the Lord. Pray for him to give you accuracy 
when you minister. It's not by our much praying that we are heard, but I believe it's by our specific on-target prayers that people's lives are changed and touched. Number eight, please ask for help from leadership when you need it. Maybe you don't see an elder around you, but there's someone near you who's been on the prayer team longer. Summon them to come over there and help you. Number nine, please be willing for other leaders to assist you should they ever feel led to do so. Now, I don't think that anybody's going to come and push you to the side, but they may come beside you to see if they can help. There are times that we really need three people praying for one person. Number 10, please only minister in those meetings where you are not already serving in another ministry role. For example, other ministries of the church follow a schedule. The prayer ministry team does not. It's a huge task to make sure we don't double book people. So the prayer ministry team is one that is open. And so if you are not serving in a specific ministry, then consider yourself serving in the prayer ministry. If you're a greeter, obviously you would get a calendar in the mail and you would know this is my Sunday to be a greeter and be sure and greet people before and after the service. And maybe in the context of being a greeter, you could serve on the prayer team. But in children's ministry, if you're serving in children's ministry on the praise team, there's other roles that you have to serve because you've been scheduled to do so. Don't abandon that post to come serve on this post. So that is the top 10 priorities for the prayer team. Being prepared to minister, dealing with offenses, remembering that our job is to pray with people primarily after the service, not allowing our role to keep us from receiving prayer for ourselves, ministering to people of our gender, not feeling rushed or being in a rush, asking for help when we need it, being willing to receive help, even when we may not think we need it, if a leader feels impressed to come along and help. Receive it. Let it happen. And minister only in those meetings where you are not scheduled someplace else. All right, here's three guidelines for praying for people who come up for prayer. So let's imagine a scenario. Service has occurred. We've worshiped God. We've spent time ministering to the Lord, blessing His holy name. We've heard the word declared, and an appeal is made for people to come forward and receive prayer. Generally, we'll have the congregation stand to sing, and at that point, we'll call the prayer team forward. And at that time, we ask those needing to receive prayer to come forward with the prayer team, but most time they won't. But you, as a member of the prayer team, when you reach the front, turn around and face the congregation. That way, the people will know that you are a member of the prayer team. And if no one comes to you immediately, stay there. I don't care if it's for 10 minutes. Stand there facing the congregation. Just your presence alone facing the people is a testimony that prayer is available and those that need it need to come forward for prayer. And maybe after 10 minutes, someone will come forward. Maybe someone won't come forward, but the fact they've seen your face as an availability is a testimony that won't be able to get away from it in God's dealing with their heart. God will use the image of you being there to minister to them as a picture of his love for them. All right, here's the three guidelines. Number one, somebody's come forward for prayer. Ask him or her what they need prayer for. Don't be afraid to ask and don't worry about being nosy. If they did not have a need, they would not be standing in front of you. And if their need is too personal to tell, 
they will let you know. Now, it's not important that you know all the details, so you don't have to be super nosy, but get them to talk. If they go to an extreme and are still describing their needs after a few minutes, you can interrupt them and say, okay, it's time to pray. Generally, they will stop. You don't have to know about what happened 14 generations ago. What is the situation now? What is the problem? What are they needing help with? Number two, when you first begin to pray over someone, give yourself 30 to 60 seconds just to be quiet before the Lord. You can pray out loud. You can pray in the Spirit. You can pray in your heart. And realize this, that if a person has told you their need, it's never the whole story. So let the Lord guide you. He may give you a picture. He may give you a word. He may bring a scripture to your remembrance to pray. Besides praying for their needs, always pray blessing for their life. Everyone needs a greater understanding and revelation of God's love, His peace, divine strength, and Holy Spirit joy. We often don't know a person's specific need when they come forward for prayer, what the real need is. But if we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us, we'll find that the things we pray are those things that they needed the most. And you and they will end up amazed by God. The key to ministry. This is the definition of ministry. I got it from a minister named Gary Benjamin. Ministry is letting God's love find its destination through you. The person we pray for, I don't care who they are, they need a greater revelation of God's love, and we are able to comfort others with the comfort with which we are comforted. So may God's love flow through us. If you lay hands on them, do so gently on top of their head or on their shoulder or on their upper arm, or maybe hold their hand if God leads you to do that in a gentle way. But let it be love that you're communicating from God. And may your words be words of life from Him. Now it's important to pray the solution, not pray the problem. The person, even in describing their need to you, has confessed their fault to you, confessed their weakness to you. And on the basis of the promise in the book of James which says we're to confess our weaknesses one to another and pray for one another that we may be healed, there is sufficient obedience to that verse when a person tells us what they need prayer for. So you don't have to fully describe everything out to God again and pray the problem, but pray the solution. An example is maybe they're wrestling with fear. The solution to fear is not coming against the spirit of fear. The solution of fear is God's love. Because the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. And so love is what drives fear out. So maybe the fear is there because of a lack of revelation of God's love. And so try your best to pray the answer as you understand it. And if there's not a lot of other people needing prayer or the person standing beside you doesn't have anyone to pray with, you can bring them over and say, hey, we're praying about this deal. Can you help us pray here? All right, number three, this is kind of reviewing what we said under the guidelines. Don't neglect yourself. If you need prayer, be the first one up to receive it. And don't feel that it's your responsibility to pray for others at that time. Let someone else do it. You receive prayer when we need it. 
The foundational scripture for what I believe we do as a prayer team is found in Matthew 18, verses 18 through 20. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now this is authority to bind and to loose. This is a legal description of what people of authority do. They bind things or they put a stop to things and they loose things or they start things. And so in praying for people, we pray for certain things to stop and we pray for certain things to start. We want heaven to back us up so everything we pray must be according to the scripture. This is not authority to do what we want or what we think, but it's in alignment with God's will. All right, verse 19, again I say to you, that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. This is what we're doing as a prayer team. The person coming forward for prayer obviously has a prayer in their heart. And we are praying in agreement with them according to the scriptures. And this promise says that if two of us on earth agree concerning anything that we ask, it will be done for them by my Father. The word agree in the Greek language is the word symphoneo, which is the word that's related to the word symphony. It means harmony. So it's important that we come into agreement with God and with one another. So it's important that we understand what their need is. We don't have to know all the details, but we have a grasp of what they're facing. Maybe it's a need for wisdom or a need for a miracle. And that we agree together in faith. We join our faith together and we pray for people in that aspect, the prayer of agreement is basically what we're doing as a prayer team. All right, verse 20 is this promise. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So wherever two or three people are, it doesn't even have to be in a service at the front of the congregation, after the sermon, as a member of the prayer team. It can be at work. If two people... Gather in Christ's name. He's there in the midst. He's promised to be present. So because we meet in his name, we believe that he hears our prayer. So it's on the basis of him hearing our prayer and us praying prayers of agreement that we believe great things are done. Let me pray. Lord, I pray for the members of the prayer team that are reviewing this and the people that are considering membership of the prayer team, God, that you would help us come to understanding. Those that have questions, Lord, help them to contact our offices to ask them. Those that have suggestions, Lord, help them to reach out and have a discussion with myself or someone here at the office. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, in conclusion, as part of this podcast, I would like for you to hear a teaching I did called The Laying On of Hands. It was taught on a Wednesday night on September 29th, 1999. It happened at Country Love Theater. It just has some really practical how-tos on how to minister one-on-one to people. And it's very important. And we ask all members of the prayer team to listen to this and to have an understanding. Um, some really practical things. It's very important. Thank you so much for your time. Please stay tuned and listen to the rest of this teaching that was delivered back in 99. 
Chapter 6 of Hebrews, verse 1 says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, or you could say the doctrine of laying on of hands, comma, the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead, and the doctrine of eternal judgment. These doctrines are basic things. Once they're laid in our life, we're supposed to go on and continue maturing in the Lord. But if we've never had them laid in our life, we need to make sure they are laid so we can go on. You, you know, you can't leave Chicago and go to New York unless you've been to Chicago first. Then you can go from Chicago to New York. And so we can't go on to perfection unless these things have been laid in our life. And so tonight we're just going to do a brief teaching and wrap it up with communion. You're going to think, what does laying on of hands have to do with communion? Well... You'll see how it fits together. Reasons for this teaching tonight, number one, is God is using us as a church to show love to hurting members and non-members alike. And out of this, I think our church is, is experiencing a season of growth, but even more important than growth in terms of numbers, I'm, we're seeing an increase of ministry. We're ministering more. There's a whole lot more laying on of hands going on, and I'm excited about it. And so the purpose of this Teaching isn't to correct any problems that I know of or that I've seen. It's just simply to make sure we're on the same page to prevent any potential problems that could go wrong with laying on of hands, and things could go wrong with that. All right, another reason is our congregation is growing, and this type of ministry is likely to continue and increase. You may be here tonight thinking, oh, not me. I'm not going to lay hands on anybody, but... You don't know. The Lord may grow you in such a way in six months, you'll just jump at the chance to pray for somebody. Let the Lord use you. Another reason is Ephesians 4 says that pastors, evangelists, teachers are called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The ministers, in reality, the ministers in this church, if you understand ministry as a function and not a position, ministry is a function and not a position, it's a it's a verb more than it is an adjective. It's a function. If you understand that, then you'd see that the members of the church are the ministers. And the leaders of the church are to equip the saints for ministry. And so tonight, we're just attempting to equip you, to encourage you, to edify you in this ministry, to go for it more and let God use you mightily. All right, number four. Another reason for this teaching tonight is if there is anything that can help us to improve in this area, we should do it. You know, there's nothing more unattractive than somebody who knows everything and they're unteachable and they don't want to learn anything different. And sometimes we do things certain ways and don't even know why. We just kind of develop a tradition. And so if there's anything we can do to help improve tonight, if anything I share tonight kind of hits you between the eyes and you think, you know, I could improve in that area, improve in that area. Improve, become better. Another reason for this teaching is we want the love of God to find its destination through us. Bottom line, that's what ministry is, is the love of God finding its destination. We don't want to get all technical. Am I getting a word of knowledge or am I getting a word of wisdom or am I getting a prophecy for this person? Just go and love them and let love find its destination. The love of God that's in your heart, let it flow through you to them. That's what ministry is. We want that to happen with as little distraction as possible. A whole lot more of Jesus is better than a whole lot more of me. 
Another reason for this teaching is God is going to use you mightily in this. Just, just repeat after me. God is going to use me mightily in the ministry with the laying on of hands. And of course, another reason for this teaching is there is such a thing as the doctrine of laying on of hands. And so tonight, that's, this is a little bit of what we're doing. You could take years and study it out. It's all over the Bible. Take that up as a project, all right? Purposes for the laying on of hands. Generally, in the New Testament, I see five purposes for which the laying on of hands is exercised. It's to minister blessing. Jesus did this. He'd pick up the children, put his hands on them, and bless them. And when you pray for someone, whatever you're praying for them about, bottom line, you are blessing them. You're showing them love. You're showing them concern. And you are praying that God touches them and does something significant in their life. Another purpose for the laying on of hands is to minister the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, in Acts chapter 2, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit spontaneously. In Acts chapter 8, they didn't. The apostles came down from Jerusalem and laid hands on them that they could receive. The apostle Paul, he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the laying on of hands by Ananias. In Acts 19, Paul laid hands on the disciples of John the Baptist. They received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with tongues and prophecy. I do want to say this. As a church, we do not officially push the belief that unless you speak in tongues, you have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Generally, that's what happens most of the time, but not always. When Peter stood up to explain what was happening in Acts chapter 2, he quoted Joel chapter 2. And Joel chapter 2 said nothing about tongues. It said prophecy, visions, dreams, signs, and wonders were the evidence. And in Acts 2, they did speak in tongues. In Acts 8, it doesn't say what, what they did when they received the baptism, but a magician wanted to pay money for that ability to lay hands and see the baptism come. In Acts 10, they spoke in tongues and magnified God. In Acts 19, I think it was 12 disciples of John the Baptist, they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And I don't know if that means all of them, but I found since I changed my belief in this area, I used to believe, man, unless you talk in tongues, you don't have it. Once I change my belief in this area, it is much easier to minister the baptism of the Holy Spirit to people. I think there's something about telling people they have to do something that makes them feel like they're not going to be able to. Just man, make them open to receive the Lord and pray with them. Help them in whatever way the Lord leads you to. But you let God be God and baptize them however He wants to. Biblically, there are several signs that a person is baptized in the Spirit. Another purpose for the laying on of hands is to minister healing. In Mark chapter 16, he said, These signs shall follow them that believe. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And so it's used in the ministry of healing. It's used to minister spiritual gifts. Paul told Timothy to stir up the gifts that was in him through the laying on of hands. Another place he wrote to uh, the readers of his letter, I wish that I could see you so that I could impart spiritual gifts to you. And the fifth and final reason I see in the New Testament, there may be other reasons, is to consecrate or commission. The word consecrate means to dedicate something. When children are born, we lay hands on them and consecrate ourselves and consecrate them 
for the purposes of God. I believe in laying hands on your house and consecrating it for the purposes of the Lord. Laying hands on your car. It's also used for commissioning. You know, if kids leave here to go to Bible school, we lay hands on them and bless them and send them in the name of the Lord. This is a biblical thing that we see throughout Acts and, and the New Testament. All right. Principles for the laying on of hands. Number one, when you lay hands on someone, always get the person's permission, person's permission. before laying your hands on them. Always do that. A few years ago, we had a member of the church lay hands on a visitor without their permission, and the visitor thought, this guy's trying to save me against my will, and the visitor left. never has come back. So it can scare them. Another reason you want their permission is if you're going to exercise spiritual authority, you need for someone to give you that authority. You only have as much authority as people allow you to exercise. In one place in the Gospels, Jesus could do no mighty work because of the unbelief. They didn't receive his authority. So as a minister, as a Christian who is, is ministering to someone, they've got to allow you to minister to them. Now, there may be some rare occasion where God tells you to do it anyway, but you make sure God has told you to do it. One time, years ago, a vet laid hands on a girl who was coming out of witchcraft, laid hands on her without her permission. She said, can I lay hands on you? The girl said, oh, no, and that did anyway, and she instantly became sick. I thought, oh, it's just a coincidence. A couple days later, she says, can you pray for me? And she was laying in the bathtub just sick. And so I prayed for her and said, Lord, if this is some kind of demonic attack that came through, if they're laying hands on someone without their permission, we command this spirit of sickness to leave now. And as soon as I said now, the light cover above the bathtub fell in the water. I mean, just never happened before, never happened since. Boom. So get their permission so as not to scare them and also so you can get the authority to minister to them if they grant it to you. If it's a little child, you need to get the parent's permission. You know, if, the, if they send them up front in a service, then you have their permission to minister. Now, what we're talking about here isn't just laying on of hands in the church. The church is the learning place. You're out in the marketplace, and wherever opportunities exist to minister, lay hands in the power of the Spirit. Go for it. Remember that this is called the laying on of hands. Now, there's nothing happening in the church that would make me say what I'm about to say. But I tell you, with the incredible things that were happening with the youth Sunday night, I think it's good timing that if this is going to become more and more of a norm in our church, that when we get zealous, we could maybe do the leaning on of hands, the pressing on of hands. It's not the shaking of the hands, the rubbing of the hands, the massaging of the hands. The pushing of the hands, the pressing of the hands, the tickling of the hands, it's just simply the laying on of hands. It's simple. You do anything else, it could become a distraction from them receiving. They're thinking, what's he doing? You know? And if God does shake them, and you're doing this, they're going to think, he's, he's doing it. You know? And if they fall and hit the floor, you don't want them thinking, well, they pushed me. Right? You want them to know it was the Lord. This is real elementary, but we're laying a foundation here. This practice is to be accompanied by prayer and or proclamation. 
A proclamation is similar to what Jesus said to, to somebody He was ministering to. Be healed. Just speak healing. Just proclaim the Word of the Lord, the promises of God to them. Pray. The ministry isn't complete just laying your hands on them. They're going to wonder, now what's going on? What's going on? Is there vibes supposed to be shooting through their hands? You know, I don't know. That can happen. It can happen. But the purpose, I believe, of laying on of hands is as the body of Christ, He's the head, we're the body, and our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, we are the representatives of God touching them, showing them love. And if power does shoot through your hands like a laser gun, then great, that's fine. That's fine. But the purpose is to communicate love and care. So express that love through prayer and proclamation. Number four, this is real important. Do not touch anyone inappropriately. You may not do it on purpose, but in this day and time, with immorality running like crazy, with homosexuality going on like crazy, and lesbianism on the increase, you touch someone in the wrong place, it could distract them. You know? Is this guy gay? You know, imagine you're getting paid for and this guy's rubbing your tummy, you know? Is this guy gay? You know, is he going to go any lower? You know? Uh, no hands below the belt, you know? So, this is the zone. If, if I had some masking tape and a volunteer, I'd run masking tape from a person's fingertips all the way up their arm, up their shoulder, over their head, around their ears, and back down the other arm. The zone for touching them, I believe, for the laying on of hands, should be, and I'll explain why, the top of the head, the side or sides of the head, the shoulders, the outer arms, or the hands, either side of the hands. The safety for this is the inner arm is, is, is next to their torso. Now, if you're praying for a tumor, you know they got a big, you know they got a stomach tumor, have them lay their hands on their stomach and then you lay their hands on it. If their husband or wife is with you, have them lay their hands on it. And then you lay your hand on their hands and then minister. Does this make sense? So, a reason for not laying hands on their face is, you know, sometimes our hands could get an odor and we wouldn't know it. I had a lady lay hands on me one time right on my face and she had been at work all day and came straight from work to the deal. And I was appalled when I found out later she was a nurse. You know. And she ministered love to me, but it was just kind of a distraction. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? You're, you're trying to think on the Lord. You're trying to receive and... Uh, uh, I wish you wouldn't do that. You know, and I start thinking other things. So there's just distraction to communicating the love of God. Another reason for laying hands on top of the head and not the front of the head is if they do start swaying and your hand follows them, and they, they, they want to catch their balance and, and come back, your hands there, they can't come back. They'll feel manipulated if they fall because of that. So lay hands on the top or the side of their head, and if they fall out, that's fine. Now, it doesn't always happen, but it does happen. Now, I don't want us to be legalistic, and from now on, when you watch those TV preachers, you think, my God, he's not doing it right. Just, just for us here... You know, God's using those guys, and it's not in our position to judge, okay? But, you know, Brother Tent Revival does it his way, and when you're at his revivals, you can do it that way. But here, we just ask that you lay hands on the top of the head, the sides of the head, 
or the shoulders or the outer arms or hands. Does that make sense? So that they can receive the laying on of hands without any lies from the enemy. And I don't believe anyone in this church would intentionally lay hands inappropriately. All right, number five. This is real important. When praying, pray the answer and not the problem. Cry out to God with faith. Now, what do I mean when I pray the answer? Let's say you're praying for someone with a problem of fear. What's the answer to fear? Faith. But even more so than that, the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. So faith and love are the answer to fear. So instead of spending all your time yelling at a spirit of fear and ministering in fear, you're going to do a number on that person. Just minister love to them. Lord, just fill my brother or my sister up with your love. I ask you to, to give them a revelation that you love them, that you accept them, that they are safe in your care, that the story is not over. Because that's what you're wanting is the answer. Pray the answer. Many times when we get a word of knowledge, we think that's what we're supposed to pray. No, that's just the problem. Pray the answer. Turn, turn your thing inside out. Recently, we had a new member prayed over by a visitor. And when the visitor got done, this new member came to me and said, man, I must be in bad shape. You know, well, what do you mean? Well, this person prayed the problem. Just prayed the problem. Pray the answer. Turn your prayer inside out. Instead of cursing the darkness, shine the light. I know a pastor, man. He just, when he prays for you, it's like, you foul spirit from hell. Take your fangs out of my brother and your fucking tongue out of his ears. And it's like, okay, tell that to him, but don't be telling it to me. I don't need visions of that. <laughs> it's the truth. I'm not making it up. I curse you, you foul viper of the devil. It's like, man, pray the answer. Pray the answer. Pray the answer. This is a reason not to rush. Now, the verse that Paul told Timothy to not lay hands on someone suddenly deals with laying on of hands for the purpose of commissioning them. In other words, don't lay hands on someone to pray for them to receive a leadership position before you know who they are. Don't lay hands on someone suddenly. But it's good to not just lay hands on someone just all of a sudden, but just wait on the Lord for direction. You know, what's the problem? Okay, and then just pray in your heart and think, Lord, what does this person need? Otherwise, you lay hands on him and you start praying the problem. Oh, God, my brother's suffering with fear. He probably isn't sleeping good at night. If you don't heal him of this, he's going to get an ulcer. So, Lord, I just ask you to, you know, just think, you know, he probably, I, I'm, I'm going to, I feel led to pray God's love over you and then just pray the answer. Does that make sense? It doesn't have to. We're not talking about being graphic and, and sound like you've got 13 degrees. We're just talking about the love of Jesus, the answer. Number six. Once again, this is not, this is not reflection on anyone. But we just need to say this. And this is on a tape. 
And uh, those people that aren't here, we're going to encourage them to get the tape. Good hygiene is a must. Breath mints are helpful too. If they fall on the floor, you don't want them to think, now, was that God or was I just, did I have about all that breath I could stand? You know? And I know we all brush our teeth, but in the morning we need help. And so uh, what I keep in my car is, is Altoids or, or on the way to church I get some Tic Tacs and I just put some in my pocket or put some in your purse. And when it's time to minister, you want to pray and stick one of these babies in your mouth. Lord, I just ask you to use me. On your way, just do it. One day when we do have our own place, we're going to have a Tic Tac machine in the lobby. Trust me. We're going to have it. Because God's going to use us. Amen? Now, I'm not a real good example of good hygiene. I left the house clean today, but I've been out on the land half the day and covered in a light layer of dust. And if I prayed for you and stomped my foot in excitement, you might get a whiff of something that could be an obstruction to your receiving from the Lord. We want the love of God to find its destination with as little distraction as possible. Okay? All right, number seven. This is real important. Apply these principles to yourself. I don't want to push legalism where we, where we become self-appointed judges and we're policing each other. You know, brother, you touch their neck. You know, just don't worry about it. But if you see something grossly violated, you know, like a guy's going to punch somebody in the stomach, get somebody in authority, somebody in leadership in the church, and say, I think something's going on that, that may not happen. And who knows? You know, somebody could be pushing people down one Sunday. It happens. Let's just be honest, charismatics, and say, sometimes we get a little flaky. <laughs> Amen? And so we'll, we'll address it. So if you see it, you know, being grossly violated, you know, if some guy's doing a tummy rub on a lady's ulcer, I mean, you know, come get somebody and we'll, we'll try to stop that, okay? The eighth principle for the laying out of hands, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Here's where we pick up communion and switch gears. In a few minutes, we're going to take communion. For God to use us in any kind of ministry, we need to walk in forgiveness. That means if someone offends us, we have to go to them. If we think we've offended someone, we need to go to them. God puts a responsibility on both parties' hearts, you know. Well, they offended me. I shouldn't go to them. They should go to me. Well, they may not know they offended you. Or they may not be as mature as you are. We need to walk in forgiveness. If we're not walking in forgiveness and unity, it hinders the flow of the Spirit. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Roman passage. Let's go ahead and start at verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
Now, when we remember Jesus, we remember that he died for us, that he shed his blood for us, that his body was broken for us. The elements of communion represent that. But also, when we think of Jesus, we have to think of one another. Because He is the head and we are the body. If I'm going to honor Jesus, I really, I really only love Jesus as much as I love you. Oh, no, I love Jesus a whole lot more than I love these people. The way God sees it, our love for one another is equivalent to our love for Him. And so how can I love the head and hate the hand? Or how can I love the head and not be in harmony with the leg? And so therefore, if I take communion in remembrance of Him, I need to remember that I'm part of His body, that He is the head. Verse 25, In the same manner, He also took the cup after, say, after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in My blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. Here's where we're going. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Talking about the manner in which we take it. What is that unworthy manner that would make us that guilty? You're going to see here in a minute. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, there it is again, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. There's the unworthy manner. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Now we have to understand that God relates to us in two ways. He relates to us as individuals. And He relates to us corporately. And you see that? He relates to us as a group and He relates to us as individuals. And blessing on the group could be hindered by those within the group not appropriately discerning the Lord's body. When I discern something, I value it. I understand it. I walk in a measure of respect towards it. When I discern evil spirits, I don't respect them, but yet I do. I don't play with them. You know what I mean? I understand that reality. When I understand the reality of the body of Christ, I'm going to walk in a measure of unity. And this could rob me of my own blessing, of healing when I need it, but it would also rob me of the blessing of God using me and ministering healing, which means... The members of this church and even non-members coming here could be hindered from receiving what they need from the Lord because we're not walking in unity. Can you see that? So we need that. The laying on of hands means we are the hands of Jesus. And the left hand and the right hand can't be at odds with each other. We are the hands of Jesus. And so we need to respect each other, to discern one another's position in the body of Christ, and to appreciate one another. And so right now, just bow your head in preparation for communion and just say, Lord, is there, is there anyone I'm, I'm out of harmony with? Have, have, I done what, have I done my part to walk in unity? Have I tried and I'm supposed to try again? 
Or is this just something I'm supposed to remember and hold on to? Lord, I just pray right now you'd help us to examine ourselves, Lord, and if there's anything that needs to be corrected, Lord, help us correct it. Lord, many times people read that passage and they don't take communion, and that's not the point. The point is to examine ourselves and make it right and receive the blessing of communion. And so, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that, that needs to get on the phone or to go see someone or even two or three people here, Lord, just whatever. Lord, where things may not be right. Lord, I pray if I've offended anyone, Lord, and I'm too dense to know, Lord, I pray you give them the boldness to come to me and say, Alan, you hurt my feelings here or something, Lord. I just pray that unity would flow in this place like a river, unhindered, Lord, so that we can minister healing free of your judgment, Lord, so that there not be any weak or sickly among us and that, so that none would go to an early grave. In Jesus' name.